Yeah, I'll start this episode off with a quote by John Wayne. Forget which movie it was in, but it is Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyways. I think that just exemplifies trail running, ultra running, where a culture that kind of celebrates failure. I mean, yes, it's awesome when races go well and, you know, things go according to plan, but that's a pretty rare thing. And recently I I shared on social media some of my writing, just that I fail, then I try again. I fail, then I try once more. I fail, then I learn something new. I fail and take two steps back. I fail and have a minor breakthrough. I fail, then I try again. This is my process, iterations of failing in the direction I want to go. The trick for me is failing so often, it doesn't bother me at all. And it's just part of the process of pushing forward. And I by no means have it all figured out either. But I do see each new attempt as just trying to put in place a tiny piece of my life's giant jigsaw puzzle. Trying a puzzle piece that doesn't fit, it's just part of the fun. If it doesn't fit, just try once more. I really do see life that way. I see ultra running that way. Like every aspect of what I do, filmmaking, writing, all the artistic endeavors, raising kids, like I constantly am making mistakes and I make mistakes so often that they truly don't bother me at all. In fact, sometimes I enjoy putting mistakes in on purpose, like it's gotten to that point. So I just wanted to share that and open the episode with that thought. So I'm excited to announce I've teamed up with the John Wayne Cancer Foundation. And so you're going to start hearing a little bit about the John Wayne Grit series of races. So this is a nonprofit uh, foundation that's set up and a lot of their fundraising comes through these races. The race director Molly and I Um, have chatted before, and Ethan Wayne, John Wayne's son, and I have also talked prior. They have some really cool races. They have a half marathon in Flagstaff, Arizona, coming up September 4th. Highly recommend if you're in the area, check it out. It's just such a great foundation, such a great cause. And also a big thank you to Tannery Outdoors. If you're interested, use uh, the promo code ULTRA10 for 10% off. But this is just a great company. You know, it's designed for runners by runners. Uh, The founder is an ultra runner. And it's an all-natural mineral-based product, which in this era of, of sunscreen recalls and everything taking place there, it's just comforting knowing um, this is a a good, honest company. And um, it, it cares about the ultra running community. It cares about the trails and in the national parks and state parks, I think 1% of their sales goes back into the park systems. And they they definitely support, you know, some really great ultra runners and ultra running podcasts. So um, I really like their lip balm, moisturizer, and sunblock. I, I definitely have used their sunblock. I, I don't lather it on, probably like I should, but um, a little, it feels like it goes a long way, but don't don't quote me on that. The lip balms, 
smell too good. Um, they're, they're actually really nice and they have SPF 15. That's something a lot of runners don't think about is uh, some protection for their lips. Plus, having lip balm in, in your pack or wherever during races can come in handy. Uh, it's, it's a uh, great company and I truly appreciate their support of the podcast. Thank you to Exoskin. Definitely check them out. T, the number 4U20 for, I think it's 15% off at this point. It, it ranges throughout time, but they have new colored toe socks. And, you know, I'm a sucker for toe socks. I, I absolutely love those. Definitely throwing on the toe socks. Their calf sleeves are great. They now have underwear and compression tops. And I, I really am a big fan of almost all their products. I use them during all my races. So shout out to Exoskin. Thank you, Patreon supporters. We're throwing in this new Patreon kind of addition. You get to be a part of the audience of my interviews. So I can't promise it for every single one, but for a lot of my interviews, I'm now sending out within the closed Facebook group an audience member link so you can listen uh, and, and watch real time when I'm doing the interviews. So you'll know all the mass editing that I do, but it's just another added benefit for you Patreon supporters. And I couldn't do this without you guys. You make this all work. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thank you. I respect that, man, so you keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey, everyone. It's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? decided if I could, you know, finish a 50-miler, I could probably run across the country. 100 miles is not that far. Welcome to episode 177 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name's Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra, and we have a great episode. I'm also like, can't believe we've done 177 episodes. Um, anyways, this is a fun one. We talked to uh, the director of the John Wayne Cancer Foundation, Ethan, who's just a super nice guy, along with Molly, who's the race director of the John Wayne Grit Series. So these are... This is a nonprofit race organization that benefits, you know, getting out education and helping people with cancer. I mean, there's not a better cause. And I'm just excited. They have uh they have five different races. So check out the show notes for a link to the one that's nearest to you. And man, I wish I was in Flagstaff. I'd be doing the uh September 4th Flagstaff half marathon. Sounds like a uh, a really just cool, fun event. So really appreciate Ethan and Molly taking so much of their time today. You know, you can get sort of used to having somebody not like you. And when they're not around, you miss them. Not liking you. I'm joined here by Ethan Wayne and Molly Kasuf. They are 
part of the John Wayne Cancer Foundation and Grit series. I'm just really excited to catch back up with them. They were on a an episode in late 2019, and they're now a, a title sponsor of the podcast and big supporters. So thank you, Ethan and Molly, for joining me on the podcast. Oh, it's awesome to be back. Yeah. yeah. So Last time when we started these races and we spoke to you, we got one race in. Well, we got two in and then COVID hit. So that sort of derailed us for the next year. But we are happy to be back. I mean, <laughs> it's been like maybe, what, a year and a half? But I feel like it was five years ago when we talked. Uh, the wor- the world's like changed that. quite a bit. Um, Absolutely. So, and I, I was hoping that we'd be in Boulder when we did this again. Molly, we got to go up there next time. <laughs> we do, yeah. We def- we are definitely coming to Boulder. You guys are, are welcome welcome here uh, anytime you like and um, be a pleasure having you. But, I mean, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, you, you have this whole race series planned out and then out of nowhere – you know, COVID hits, shuts down the world, basically. I mean, how how has the John Wayne Cancer Foundation gotten through that COVID year? And, and how has the race series gotten through? Well, it was, you know, it was crazy. I was always, um, you know, people wanted to work remote. And I was always like, nope, we go to the office, we show up, we're there. Uh, and, and I went to companies. I read John Wayne Enterprises, which is sort of the for-profit arm of of John Wayne. And um, we use deals that we make over on the enterprise side to, to feed the John Wayne Cancer Found Foundation for all our nonprofit cancer work. Um, and, you know, we all used to show up and go to an office, COVID hit, you know, everybody started working from home. And uh, I think we became more efficient. Uh, it helped me sort of reorganize and, and think about the best way to move both organizations forward. And uh, I think after about two weeks or three weeks, we decided, look, let's get rid of this office building and everybody's going to go remote. We had uh, people move to Texas, people moved to Tennessee, and then some people have stayed here in California. And uh, I think just overall, it, uh, it, uh, had some positive effects for the organization, just tightening your belt and figuring out what's important and uh, what's necessary and, uh, you know, keep moving forward. The bummer was that, you know, we couldn't, couldn't hold races, uh, yeah. even though our races are, you know, typically outside, help people stay healthy. Uh, we just, we couldn't do it. So that part of it was a drag, but Overall, for the organizations, I think it, it helped us streamline, reorganize, and focus on our priorities. And Molly, how has it been from your perspective? You've been a race director for quite some time, correct? And Yes. I mean, check out, I think it's Ginger Runner episode 13. He was, yeah, was probably like just figuring it out, and uh, you're on there. Yeah. You, you've been an RD for, for a long time. How... How has COVID um, affected your life? Well, it um, definitely came out of the blue. And we, um, I have to say, as a team, we rallied um, with so much unknown um, pretty um, amazingly. It was incredible to see how we just, we just kept moving forward with our mission. And our mission was to 
put these, you know, races on, um, and, you know, the new term came into play virtual, which mm-hmm. for a lot of us was like, no way, no way. can't do virtual. It's, it's not the same, but honestly, for a lot of people during those first months of COVID, it was pretty, um, devastating across the board for a lot of families, for a lot of people personally, emotionally. Um, so I think having, and a lot of people started, only thing they could do was to go outside, was to go out and do whatever they could, fresh air, be outside where it was quote safe. Um, so it became almost like a norm to be outside on the trails. And so virtually became something that was like the, the next best thing. So for us, um, we still had quite a bit of people who wanted to be a part of the event virtually because it kept them accountable. It, came, it gave them something to keep waking up and showing up for every day. Mm-hmm. So, but for, as a team, though, we still had our, we still wanted to raise money for the Cancer Foundation. We still wanted to help with the research, with trying to find you know anything we could to do with helping with the cancer side. So that was always our mission, and we still kept through it. And we had you know over 600 runners throughout the year of 2020. Believe it or not, do virtual between our three events. So you That's know great. people still wanted to support and still wanted to be about available. So. I feel like it really has made us come kind of full circle and a little bit stronger than we were. Yeah, it's an interesting point that the world can shut down, like a lot of businesses can shut down, but you know, cancer doesn't shut down. Um, no. I, I didn't really think about that from the perspective of, I mean, if you're in the middle of treatment or something, I mean, you know, you, you can't stay at home for that. Like that's uh, that had to be really difficult for the whole foundation to figure out. Um, Ethan has has uh, has the foundation changed any of their operations? I know you said um, some work's been shifted virtually, but for the actual like facilities, like has there been that much change? Yeah, they, they changed drastically, uh, especially when COVID peaked and those ERs and hospitals were dealing with, um, you know, a new pandemic. Uh, they had to put a lot of uh, a lot of things on hold and just deal with the most serious. So, um, yeah, it was that was terrible. Um, well, I went. To, I I had a, a surgery, but I guess that was just before COVID hit. Yeah, that was right before. I ended up having a melanoma on my cheek and uh, getting that taken off, uh, which is strange because we have a program that teaches um, kids about sun safety. And it's something that's sort of in the schools and everywhere in Australia, um, but it hasn't really made its way over here to the States. Anyway, we we take it out to uh, kids that are in the junior lifeguard program. We started here in Newport Beach and now we're in every junior lifeguard program from Mexico to Canada, and we've expanded to 12 other states through USA Swimming and uh, other uh, uh, kids' camps and groups um, to get the information in front of kids. And then, boom, I go to the dermatologist and this is going to get you that little get that little thing checked. It didn't look like anything. It wasn't a mole. It wasn't dark or big or anything, and it turned out to be melanoma. And, you know, they they cut a like a fifty cent piece off my sort of off my cheek, wow. which took about ten minutes. But then to get that hole closed up, you know, took 
four hours and you know you wake up with 400 stitches in your face and a tube coming out of your ear and it's just uh you know when you look at melanoma uh if it's not caught early it's a pretty serious uh pretty serious form of cancer i was lucky because i cut mine very early what what is melanoma like what what is that type of cancer and like what causes it I'm, I'm just Melanoma interested. Melanoma yeah. is skin cancer, and it can be caused by overexposure to the sun. And, um, you know, I'm a child of the 60s and 70s, and I spent a lot of time in the sun and uh, had many sunburns. And, and what we're learning is that if you can educate a kid and parents to, to try to prevent that kid from getting a blistering sunburn, you know, before they're, say, 20, before they turn into an adult, then they're 50% less likely later in life to develop a malignancy, which is what I had. So they might have a, a basal cell that can be frozen off or a squamous cell that can be frozen off, but it, it doesn't turn into uh, uh, melanoma, which is much more serious. So uh, we've been doing that, that kids program for years, and it, you know, it really struck me when I got mine because it – it connected the dots, you know, as a kid, I got plenty of blistering sunburns <clears throat> and, yeah. uh, you know, the lifeguards, uh, who allow us to run our program through their junior guards program, all deal with it. You know, they all know, uh, all those guys are, are basically my generation and, uh, they understand the damaging effects of the sun. So it's good information for those kids. It, you know, cancer is tough and people want to spend money on, uh, research and new technologies, and I get that. And and large companies are doing that, and well-funded companies are doing that. But there's a lot that you can do. You know, it, it's it's like life in in general. You can take the medicine, or you can live your life in a way that you won't need the medicine. And so we try to look at at both aspects. We fund research, we train surgeons, but we also want to get information to people that that uh, prevents them from ever having to go there. Uh, and that's kind of where these runs come in. You know, it, it, it gets people outside, uh, it gets them moving, it gets them exercise. Um, usually we'll have a, a surgical uh, fellow there to talk to them about uh, cancer, ways to avoid it or, or uh, tips to avoid it. And then, you know, you get to go run in a spectacular environment, whether it's the Eastern Sierras or uh, the Sawtooth Mountains in Pioneer Town or on the coast uh, in the Newport Beach, you know, or in the mountains of Flagstaff. And this year we're adding one in, um, in Fort Worth because we have a, a museum uh, exhibit there in the Fort Worth Stockyards. So that'll be a, a fun one. But it you know, it's as part of that lifestyle change that we want people to make to start thinking about what can I do to prevent myself from getting some of these things? Can I eat better food? Can I make sure I get out in the sun? Can I make sure I get a healthy diet that I'm not overexposed to the solar radiation? I mean, just uh, getting them the information and the tools and uh, some things to do that will hopefully prevent them from ever having to deal with it. And if they do have to deal with it, uh, then we're still funding research and uh, training those surgeons. And and so remind me, do you guys actually have a, like a building? Like, did you go into your own uh, John Wayne Cancer Foundation like 
building for uh, your own treatment, or did you just use like a something that was maybe more local or for uh, the John Wayne Cancer Institute was at St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica, uh, and it's no longer there. Now we've uh, we've taken that uh, surgical oncology fellowship program that was housed there, and we've moved it to the University of California in Irvine, UCI, and also to Texas Tech. Oh, great. Um, that's, so that's it's really it, good news. It's, it's kind of expanding. So we're yeah. – we're, uh, it's hard to ex- explain when you're when you're tied to one spot you're t- you're tied to uh, uh, we were tied to uh, an operator an operator of a hospital and every time that operator would change we would have challenges so we thought it might be uh, better to gosh it's, it's not virtual but to expand the program and to work with a bunch of different people because even if if we housed it at, at Santa Monica these surgeons would have to go to you know to Cedars or Loma Linda or Kaiser to try to get the surgeries that they need to complete their fellowship. So they're, they're constantly traveling anyway. So it just made sense for us to, to move the, the bases around. You know, we have a base at UCI, we'll have a base at Texas tech and we'll, we'll keep expanding that. It's typically when you get a cancer, you'll need to get a surgery, right? That's, that's typically the first step with the majority of cancers. So, when we train the surgeons, um, you know, they, they're, they're general surgeons when they come out of school and they can go into private practice or they can come to John Wayne and be trained to be specialists in uh, a number of disciplines, but they end up, you know, picking one by the end of their fellowships. It's brain, breast, melanoma, GI, or urology. And oh. uh, we have a – sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to ask you, like, uh, on a personal level, how's your recovery been? Mine was super easy. I mean, other than, okay. you know, uh, what, you know, literally they only had to cut a quarter thing off my, a quarter size thing off my cheek, but then to close it, like just to get the skin closed without pulling on your eye, you know, it's on your face. They can't just pinch it together and sew it up like they would do on your thigh or on your back or on your arm. So it took, took plastic surgery. And when I woke up from that, I was kind of shocked because it was pretty significant. And so yeah. there was a little, little recovery from that. But as far as the, uh, the treatment, there's no secondary treatment necessary. Mine was called melanoma in situ. So supposedly it hasn't spread. Uh, but I, you know, I keep going back and, and, uh, getting checked. Well, that's, that's good news. Um, I'm, I'm happy that, uh, you're basically fully recovered there. And, um, Molly, I need to ask you, were, were you responsible for picking these locations? Who, how, how did you guys collaborate on that front? Um, because you picked a variety of locations and they're all really iconic, um, cool mm-hmm. locations. Yeah. So, you know, in the areas where John Wayne filmed some of his most historical movies were some pretty incredible locations, such as the Eastern Sierras, the Alabama Hills and Lone Pine. Lots of movies were filmed there. Um, and then out in Colorado, when we did Colorado the first year, out in outside of Ure in Ridgeway, Colorado, True Grit, which was one of his most famous movies, was filmed there. Um, and then, like now that 2021, we have five races, and the first race that we did, um, we did a race in Newport Beach and Crystal Cove State Park. 
Um, John Wayne lived in Newport Beach, raised his children here, and a lot of memories here in the area of Newport Beach and Newport Coast. It just was perfectly fitting for a race in the Crystal Cove State Park because you have cool hills and you have all ocean views with like awesome sunset sunrises with Catalina views. So um, Newport Coast and then Pioneer Town was the second race and that was a, a first race in person this year. However, it was a virtual race last year and that was picked out in Pioneer Town because um, which is right outside of Joshua Tree, for anybody that does not know that area. It's a really cool hipster town with amazing um, trails called the Sawtooth Trails, and those have views of San Gregonio and San Jacinto in the background. Um, it's like a little old Western movie set town. You go down one main street, and it's just got just a really cool cool stuff. They have live music at a very, very famous place called Pappy and Harriet's. That brings in a lot of people from around the world, literally. Um, and, you know, obviously outside of Joshua Tree. But John Wayne, um, he didn't film any movies in the area, but I do believe, you know, he had some, maybe some directing um, other other movies in that area. And I know that and Ethan can chime in on this, too, about when he would go on movie sets with his dad. You know, they were just in these really cool places. They'd ride horses or they'd ride motorcycles and I know Ethan has some memories of the Pioneer Town area, um, and then the oh the my gosh, race. all our all our runs we tried to do in places that were that you'd want to go anyway, you know, places that you might want to go on a weekend. So, you know, a lot of people will go to the Alabama Hills and camp and go for a hike. It's just spectacular beauty, and then there is the connection to John Wayne there, um, and then some of the other places like Pioneer Town, they're just uh, even even though he didn't film there, they're just uh, close enough for us to, to put on an event there in really unique areas. Most of the area around Pioneer Town is in the Pioneer Mountain Preserve or in the Mojave uh, Land Trust. So there's a lot of protected lands there and beautiful single track trails through just magnificent scenery. And then that that town, Pioneer Town, was actually built for Roy Rogers, and he filmed a lot of his uh, television shows there. Interesting. So it does have a, a Western and a film history, and it, it's still there. And uh, it's a terrific little community, and the trails are amazing. So, so we're excited to be there. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> and there was um, then like the next right? yeah Flagstaff race is the next race upcoming, which is over Labor Day weekend, September fourth. And that is out, it starts and finishes in the town of Flagstaff, but it goes up through like um, on Thorpe Park that takes you up just beautiful trails, single track and fire road that are like lined with pine trees. But that's out in the Coconino uh, National Forest, which John Wayne as well made some movies as well out there. Um, and they, you know, if anybody's been to Flagstaff, it's like, super beautiful lots of outdoors whether you're mountain biking or you're running um nau's right there they have some of the, the most amazing trail runners are live there and train there so it's you're at altitude but you have just it's such beautiful beauty and you're not far away from sedona and you're not far away from the grand canyon um so that's another like really, that's, a, it's it's a hub for outdoor lifestyle and activities it's a beautiful place and you get yeah. the altitude, so make it make you hurt a little bit. 
<laughs> not you guys, but people like me. <laughs> no. So, as as the race director, how do you how do you pick the distances? Are you out there on the trail and like looking around and and seeing what naturally yeah. makes sense, or like do you go into Flagstaff and say like how do I make a half marathon, or like what what's the logic behind those? the variety of distances because it, it's 5k up to uh i think half, 25k half, oh 25k um yeah and the newport coast um i think for me when i go to these locations you know a few of them i'd never even been to before i had just kind of you know driven through but like for instance for flagstaff i was there during a very snowy um, beginning of the year and going out, I just went out to all of the trails that I possibly could just to see what was, what I would actually like as a runner myself to go run and, um, the areas in the, in the location. And, you know, you have to think of all the different things like parking and an after party, uh, finish line. And, you know, is this going to be, you know, challenging. And so then I kind of go, well, how long would I want to spend time out on these trails? Would I want to be out here for five miles or would I want to be out here for, you know, 15 miles. So that it's really kind of the trail itself and what it actually allows us to do. You know, there's some trails that it will only be good for a 10 K and then there's other trails that will be great for a half marathon. So the, these trails for at the Thorpe park that go up the, um, observatory, um, out towards route 66, it's something that wants, that keeps you going. Like I didn't want to turn around. So when I was out there doing it, it was like, oh my gosh, this is a totally cool, you know, six and a half miles up and six and a half miles back down. And believe believe it or not, when you go up, it looks one way. When you come back down, it looks another way because you just, the beauty is just, you get two different views. You get Humphreys Peak, you know, when you're going up and you get to see all these cool pine trees. And then when you come back down, you're, you, you can see the town of Flagstaff. So that's kind of how I, I just kind of pick them individually. It's personally, so how cool. I do it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'll, I'll try to talk you guys into Denver a little later um, in the episode. <laughs> no. Unfortunately, I can't I get... I love Colorado. It's too early to be what's drinking, the, but... Um, <laughs> what's the little town it up is? Boulder? Wait a minute. Am I on... Uh, Fort Col- yes. Yeah. Uh, Fort Collins, maybe? I I don't know. The Fort Collins, I love. But no, if you go from Boulder and you go right up that twisty road, Netherland? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, what about something up in those hills? I mean, I'm I'm in southern Denver, so I know I know my area fairly well. Um and there's it's it's hard to mess up, you know, the the trails in this in this region all the way from the springs up through Fort Collins. I mean, it's truly hard to find something that doesn't have a, a spectacular view of the front range. And then once you get, you know, past the front range and head West, I mean, it's, it truly is hard to pick a bad one. So. Yeah. It's spectacular up there. Molly, maybe we could do one where you start in one town and you end in another one. Yeah. That's actually a great idea. John Wayne, 200 <laughs> miler. Um, <laughs> yeah, now, now, you're talk, now you're talking Rob's language. That's Rob's language right there. How, how far does it have to be, Rob, before you come out? <laughs> I know. I, I'm yeah. looking at that Flagstaff race thinking, like, how much vert is in it? And, like, that's – I like to um, – I really like, as a training run, doing 10K out 
like up something. So you get, you know, mm. consistent climbing for, you know, a few miles and then you get those quad smashing kind of descents for a mm. consistent, uh, you know, a few miles. I, I truly think that's very good training for whatever distance you're going after. And you can also use it as the, the a race too. I mean, that's, it sounds like that trail, how much gain is in that Flagstaff race that half marathon? It's under 2000. So it's reasonable. So it's not terrible. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not terrible, but it's reasonable, but you are at altitude. <laughs> yeah. So Which you, I, again, you know, I like, you, you're going to see, yeah, you're going to feel it, you know, for sure. In your lungs. <laughs> yeah. I, but, it, but it's nothing like the races that you guys do. You know, like if she just went and did what's it, Tushers, Tushars, Tushers, yeah, Tushers. Yeah. How was that experience? That's a new Air Viper race, right? I'm trying to remember. It it is. They took over it a couple years ago, Um, and so it's. I did it last year as well, and then this year I did it again, and it didn't disappoint. It definitely, you know, the beauty is incredible, and you do forget, like. I, I do truly can say that like when you are, you know, hurting or you're climbing or you're like gasping for air at some points in those races at altitude, when you can look around and you're like, I'm doing this and I'm alive, I can do this. <laughs> and I'm pretty happy about it. Cause I'm, there's a lot of people out there that can't. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. And so my most recent like kind of trip was out to bad water and unfortunately, all three of us couldn't meet there. It just didn't work out with our schedules. But um, the town of Lone Pine, I got to experience, it was pretty late. I think it was like 2 a.m. So very, very early, I guess. Um, so I didn't get to see the mountains going up uh, to Mount Whitney Portal. But those mountains, um, the next day, were some of the most spectacular views I've ever seen. Um, is that what movies I'm trying to recall what movies Ethan, um, Oh my gosh. Your he dad probably shot made, with those. Yeah. He probably made 12 or 15, uh, How the early films wrong. in, uh, in Lone Pine in the Alabama Hills. And then there was one that he did. Oh, I can't, I think of the name of it right now. I'll have to Google it. I hope I don't disconnect from the call again. Trying to Google this. <laughs> But, you know, somebody that he really admired and looked up to was a guy named Harry Carey. And uh, Harry Carey was started as a silent film star and then became a big Western star and was uh, one of my father's heroes. And let me just Google this. I mean, so those, I don't get those the name mountains wrong. are absolutely spectacular. And I really like Lone Pine. Like, it's such a small, it just has like a real, like, personal vibe to it and... It really does. I mean, we went out there to do the races, you know, we connected right away with the Lone Pine um, Western Film Museum and they were amazing and they were all hands on and they do like really cool things too out in the Alabama Hills with showing people like movie scene locations. And you know, there were so many movies that have been made out there. And, but that, you know, everybody, you know, that you walk into any place in Lone Pine, any store, any bar, any hotel, it's John Wayne everywhere. There's just pictures and posters and people have stories and they're very welcoming and they were very, very excited to have John Wayne at series in Lone Pine and still are, which is really cool. I mean, yeah. is, is that mostly a trail race? I mean, is it all, all trail? 100, 100% trail. 
And I assume starts on the dirt and finishes on the dirt. And I assume the the after party is is probably just right in that downtown area. You know, the first year we did it, it was in town. It was um, in a location that we uh, we were we had some food and some drinks, and we had our DJ move there. But this year, we're actually going to do the party at the finish line. That <laughs> it's makes gonna it be easy. All right. Yes, and we're going to have food trucks, and yeah, it's going to be super cool. We'll have our DJ, and so you can finish and then just have a seat and get some food, whatever you want from the food trucks, and then relax with that just amazing view in the background. So yeah, we're I'm really stoked for October 16th. That's, I mean, so, something I kind of miss. You know, you do a 100-miler, or in my case, I did a 50-miler uh, a few weeks back, and I was just so destroyed I couldn't enjoy the after party, which was very upsetting. You know, you want to just catch up with people and mm-hmm. hang out and have a beer and enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, so we're excited. Yeah, I think it's important to have that. There's a, a great film, Rob, called Shepherd of the Hills. And uh, it's like 1940 or maybe 1941. My father's real young and he's with Harry Carey Sr. And they're up in the Sierras and it's beautiful. Spectacular wow. scenery. So even though Alabama Hills is down at the foot of the of the mountain range, you know, you're right there and you look up and see them. And, you know, before or after the race, people can drive for uh, just a few minutes in there. You know, they're at a high mountain lake. They're in the pines. They're in the, they're, yeah, the, the eastern yeah. Sierras is a spectacular place. And as you know, a few miles the other way, you're at the, the lowest point in the United States in, in Death Valley, oh. below sea level. Yeah, that's that was the most shocking was the temperature when you you start climbing, how pleasant it was, and then I mean it was I think at one point 121 degrees oh out there, so a little stark difference um, going from the lowest point to almost the highest point um, of the yeah. co- continental U.S. I mean. So just working through one last race here. I mean, I, w- I want to hear more about the Fort Worth, um, that 5K in November. Um, it yeah. sounds like Fort Worth, was that where one of your, um, the foundation had moved uh, residency? Well, in, in Fort Worth, the, the uh, um, there's an area in Fort Worth called the Fort Worth Stockyards. And it's, you know, it's where they used to, drive all the cattle to and then they'd auction them off and then around the stockyards is where they'd process the beef and send the beef out to the to the world so that's what the stockyards were back in the day and then they've become sort of a a place to go so there's uh you know billy bobs the world's largest honky tonk is down there there's the uh, cowtown coliseum which is the site of the first indoor rodeo there's uh Cattleman Steakhouse, you know, there's some of these iconic uh, Western experiences that have been down in the stockyards for decades. Well, the stockyards is going through a slight uh, redevelopment. They took these huge brick buildings that were they were called the mule barns, and they've uh, added infrastructure. They literally had to pour foundations inside the walls and put all the infrastructure in there for, uh, you know, uh, Western stores and restaurants and wine bars and uh, little bodegas and and they they're turning the uh, stockyards into a real destination. But it's 
completely authentic to what the stockyards are. I think they're uh, doing an amazing, you know, the streets are still brick, the buildings are still brick, but they're, they're cleaning stuff up and they're putting in, you know, Stetson hats and Wrangler has a store and Lou Casey has a store and King ranch has a store there and H bar three. And, uh, it was a, a great, uh, place for us to, to be able to bring a John Wayne experience. And so, uh, there's a, a 12,000 foot John Wayne experience museum and store down in the stockyards. And, oh, cool. um, uh, highly recommend, uh, people go, buy there and and take a look at the museum it's a it's a we we put a lot of time and energy into it and we're real proud of it and uh if you have any interest in john wayne at all it's a it's a terrific experience <clears throat> and then the stockyards are just a, a real unique place and um we decided to have a run there we'll start right in front of the the John Wayne experience in the Cowtown Coliseum, the site of the first indoor rodeo. And you run down the, the brick streets, uh, you know, right by all the Longhorns and, and the herd of horses. And you go down Mule Alley, which is a, a, a fantastic road. And then you go out onto the Trinity Trails along the Trinity River. So you go across an old wooden trestle bridge and, you know, through a cactus garden. And then you run a little bit along the... Uh, trinity river towards downtown fort worth and tcu and uh you know it's very open and grassy and then you you turn around you come back in you go right back into the stockyard where you have all the you know the longhorns and the horses and the people and the brick roads and it ends back at the uh, back at the exhibit and molly uh, it is it the uh what, what are the musical words that are going on there that same day, that day yeah that that saturday is the texas um, country music awards. So there's going to be about 10 bands that play every on the hour, like every hour starting at 10 AM on that same day. So it's going to be like one big, huge festival down there, it, which will be really The stockyards cool. is really the, it's kind of the epicenter for Western lifestyle now. And, um, you know, RFD TV is there. The cowboy channel is there. Uh, there's a new hotel called the Drover, which is incredible. You know, it, it gives you that Western Texas lifestyle. Uh, it's it's very nice. It's it's very comfortable. It's it's very handsome, but it's not pretentious in any way, shape, or form. It's very comfortable. Very, uh, a lot yeah. like a lot like John Wayne. You know, he's uh, he's very stylish and handsome, but he was he didn't need a lot of embellishment to get there. You know that. That's a good segue. I mean, my two big life kind of passions are I, I really love film and I really love running. So this, you know, working together um, over the next years, you know, very exciting for me. But I, I want to hear growing up. I mean, tell me a little bit about going to film sets. I want to hear a little bit more about the filmmaking aspect of your your upbringing and then kind of how your dad saw life also but um what was like the first film set that you can recall like you basically grew up on a on a film set occasionally correct <laughs> i i did and, and i think the first one it would be uh rio bravo hmm. um and i think that was down in old tucson uh Dean Martin was there and, and, you know, some of the actors were nice to you as a kid and some weren't. And I remember he was, 
very patient, very kind, and uh, very accommodating. And I, I loved his spurs. You know, I'd just be behind him all the time, flipping those spurs. And, and uh, uh, he put up with it. He was a trooper. Um, that was filmed in old Tucson uh, way back in the day. Uh, but by the time I came along, my father was 56 when I was born. He'd left Los Angeles and moved down to Newport Beach, which was a, a small town that he used to come down to you know, in the summers and body surf. And uh, I think his life became more relaxed by the time I came along. And so he, he, typically he would take the whole family on location with him. And, and typically we'd be uh, in Durango, Mexico. So in the state of, of Durango in Mexico, there's also a city called Durango and the outskirts of Durango. There's an area and it's really similar to Lone Pine and to Pioneer Town. It's a beautiful place. It's higher, higher elevation. It's between six and 7,000 feet. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there's water, there's trees, there's, you know, uh, those stacked rocks, you know, boulder gardens and things, beautiful cactus. Uh, and they had a Western street built there with a little, you know, a steam engine train that could roll in and out of town. And uh, a lot of, a lot of movies were filmed there. So that was kind of a, a second home and going on location for me, uh, you know, not having any responsibilities and being a, a young adventurous boy to be able to be there with my dad uh, in that, you know, rugged and rural environment with, you know, horses and cattle and wranglers and stuntmen. Uh, it was uh, a terrific way to grow up. And um, I had a lot of I had some responsibilities. And once those were done, I had lots of freedom. So I could get on a horse and, you know, go explore in the hills and spend time away from the movie set. And there were just certain rules that I had to follow. And you know, if I got lost, I'd learn to go up on a big hill and look around and try to find the reflection of the, uh, back in the day, they used arc lights and reflectors. And so I could always go up and sort of spot something, no matter how far away you were, you could see the set and then mm -hmm. <clears throat> make your way back there before the last shot of the day. And uh, it, it, it gave me a love for the outdoors. <coughs> it gave me an opportunity to, to be around uh, a, you know, a group of rugged individuals who were also craftsmen and good at their jobs. Uh, people spend a lot of money to make a movie. And so if you have somebody on that movie set, they're typically good at what they do. And, and you know, by the time you get to work with John Wayne, you were, you know, a great grip or a great sound guy or a great caterer or a great wardrobe person or makeup artist or wrangler or stuntman or cameraman. And so you got to be around a group of, of high level people, uh, who were successful and great at their jobs, but we were all out there. You're, you know, you're up when it's dark, you're on the set for the, you know, the first light, get those shots, at the first light, everybody works hard throughout the day. Uh, you, know, you take a break in the middle for a little food and then, you know, you work through sunset. It's a, it's a terrific environment and, and literally something I miss uh, more and more each year, I think about going back and and uh, doing something in the film business because I 
I love the the intense focus on the project for a few months and then, you know, completing it, finishing it and going on. And in some ways, these runs <clears throat> remind me of what it's like to work on a, on a film set because we have a, a small group of bright people who are dedicated and hardworking. And we go out to an area, we, we get the run set up, we put on a great event for uh, people. And uh, we try to make sure that the people who come to enjoy the event are satisfied and also the people that we interact with at the event site are satisfied. So, you know, we come in like John Wayne would and we want to make sure we leave that place better than we found it. And that we leave a good impression with the local population. Well, I mean, was there a common thread not only with the um, you know, the, the high caliber talent that's working with your dad, but also with your dad himself? Was there like one or two attributes that made them great from your vantage point growing up? Um, <clears throat> yes. Uh, you know, one, somebody who continually focuses on moving forward, somebody who continually focuses on learning uh, and becoming um, – uh, you know, I don't think my father was afraid to make a mistake in his early career. You know, when he started, what I heard was that he he hated the way he moved on film and he hated the way he sounded, you know, on film. And he looked to people like Harry Carey Sr., who he worked with a lot in Lone Pine, and Yakima Kanut, who was a famous uh, rodeo cowboy and stuntman. Uh, and uh, Wyatt Earp, you know, these are people that my father looked to, even though he was a big college football player and he was physical in his own right. He looked to these guys uh, to figure out how he wanted to look on screen and, and how he would represent himself on screen. So in his movements, in his looks, in his attitude, uh, how he carried himself, all that came from from other people. So in the beginning, it was uncomfortable, but he figured out, uh, you know, a source for the information. He went and got the information and then he turned that all that information into something that became John Wayne because he's Duke Morrison. You know, he created this character, John Wayne, and uh, he wanted that character to be something that, you know, every father would want as a son, every son would want as a father. Uh, you know, every girl would want as their boyfriend or husband uh, to be that great all-around uh, role model character who was, um, you know, straightforward, honest, self-reliant. And, uh, you know, that same theme got stretched in, in different roles and in, in, in different genres. But basically, you had that that character that he was able to play so well when he was you know, physically right for it. Uh, he was a big guy. He moved really well and uh, he had a terrific voice and he just, you know, he started with no experience and he used every opportunity to gain experience and become better. And he, that, that never went away. That's awesome. So, uh, what do you call that mindset? You know, you're, um, you're open, uh, you're vulnerable, you listen, you're able to have uh, critical conversations about yourself and others, you know, take an, an honest look at yourself. Uh, he was 
really interested in um, uh, communicating with others uh, about uh, their thoughts and their feelings, even if they were different from his own. He could have a respectful conversation with you if you had uh, different opinions. And this, this happened a lot during work, and I was able to see a lot of that happen during work. But then as he became popular and he became famous, he had to deal with you know, corporations who want to use him as a tool for sway and you know, politicians who want the same thing out of him. So uh, uh, he, he was an interesting man. And you know, he, he started with nothing, and he, and he, he built a, an incredible career and a life. But it's that, that relentless pursuit of uh, improvement and moving forward and learning it's almost like a martial arts mentality. Uh, yeah. you, know, you come in and you, you don't know much and you have to have a lot of uh, humility to be uh, you know, not successful over and over again until you learn enough to be able to do something. And, and the film business is, is kind of like that. Sure, some people pop in and out, but to, to be at a level with John Wayne where he understood every aspect of making a film and he was really a you know a high level craftsman at, at delivering a uh, a certain type of entertainment would, that people would still, he ask still appreciate your today. opinion of like would you guys watch uh, a movie together and would he ask your opinion like what would you think of that part or would you think of that movie or was he, was he just would, showing you the movie and trying to entertain you a little bit? I was pretty young, so we didn't have a lot of we, – we had some conversations like that. He'd ask you your opinion. It happened more with, with people. Uh, I think as a young man, I had a little bit of an attitude towards some, some of the guys that were in his, uh, you know, in his life. And, you know, like I said, Dean Martin was a very nice guy. Some guys weren't. And so he would ask me opinions and things I thought about different people. Uh, and I have more memories of that than I do an opinion on uh, film or performance. And e even being in a, in a film with him as a young boy, I was eight years old. I was in a film called Big Jake. And uh, we, we didn't talk a lot about it. You know, he he just tell me what to do and, you know, either say, you know, do it again or okay. You know, it was just, we, looking back, I would have thought that we would have had more of a discussion on certain things. Yeah. Did you, but we didn't. did you, did you ever sit down and actually like go to a movie theater with him? Well, uh, at his house in Newport, he had a, a screening room. Uh, so he had a big den uh, with all his awards and guns and uh, in the bookshelf uh, and in another room, you know, through little glass squares in this bookshelf, he had these old time projectors that we still have. And you'll see him at the uh, the exhibit eventually in, in Fort Worth. So he would screen, you know, not only his films, but every film that came out. Um, That's cool. Uh, you know, I can remember watching modern films like... Uh, uh, what was the the John Voight Dustin Hoffman film Midnight Cowboy? You know, really a, a as far as you could get from sort of a John Wayne experience, 
but he'd look at it, you know, and he'd say, man, those, those guys did a, you know, a great job, you know, hell of a, hell of a job. And, you know, then he'd say something like, I don't want my daughter to see it, but you know, they did a good job. Was there like a popcorn machine or was there no popcorn? Oh. And it was <laughs> No, they'd make popcorn and, and he had a sweet tooth. So, you know, the cabinets there was like, Abba Zabba's and saltwater oh. taffy and, uh, you know, a lot of malted milk balls and, and all kinds oh of candy gosh, from I the day. Oh my gosh, I love that. So he had a, he had a big, st- and what's weird is that was always in the house and, and rarely did I ever go like take candy from that place, but it was there. <laughs> uh, so he had a little bit of a sweet tooth. Um, but again, you know, I'm, I'm remembering, you know, say John Wayne in his 60s. So... Yeah. I missed those those early years. I just wasn't around for those. Uh, so I think he was a little a little mellower in life by the time I was around. Um, well, yeah. And and so Molly, as a as a race director, how how is it interacting with Ethan when it's like, well, is this is this a good idea? And you get almost like firsthand account on how to make it accurate for your race series, like the namesake of the race series. Like, is that a unique experience? Are you, are you constantly texting Ethan? Like, should we do this? You know, we, do you ever you know, ask Molly's him like that type of a kind of opinion? bossy? <laughs> you might not realize that. <laughs> Molly can be a little pushy. So you've blocked her number. Um, This is the first time you guys have talked in a while. (laughs) I'd like to say I'm persistent (laughs) versus bossy. But working with Ethan, it's been like, for me, I can say it's been a very easy commingling. He is very supportive on every level and very motivating as well. Always willing to listen and always and I, I kind of see like this, and because I, I didn't know John Wayne myself, but I, I, I see a lot of how um, I think he was he interacted with his own kids, and I feel like Ethan does the same with his own staff, where he's always there to be there to listen to you and wants your ideas and wants you to try and wants you to go for it. So, for me, with designing these races and picking the locations, I always have Ethan by my side and he's always like if he thinks he has an idea that he wants me to look at absolutely we do we do that together and if he's like just go for it i trust you um it's it's been a great situation um across the board with the commingling and the um the partnership i would say yeah molly knows how to put on a race she knows how to lay out a course but i think the only thing i ever say is let's try to hit more single track and less dirt roads (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly yeah but i you know and I, that's my thing is that i love to i love people i love the networking i like the, the concept i like the cause i'm a, a runner myself i love the areas and i'm outdoorsy and i am self-motivated so for me this is like a match made in heaven and um just keeping moving forward i feel like that's like the same thing that we have done throughout this whole COVID. We've all kept moving forward. We've like, yep, we keep hitting these bumps, but we're not looking back. We're just keeping going forward. I think when COVID hit, we got busier. You know, we just had to, you had to buckle down, figure out what to do, how to rearrange things and and how to keep going. And it, uh, 
it was it was busier for mm-hmm. sure. Absolutely. I, I miss going to an office and seeing the people that I work with every day. I, I thought we had a great team and I, I really enjoyed being there with them. But honestly, I think we're more efficient now. Tell me, yeah. and, and I appreciate all the time here, guys. Um, are you going to incorporate anything new or different um, in your series in the future? Or, I mean, is are, are you going to try to incorporate any of the film element of, of John Wayne, um, whether it be like a mini film festival or, or that sort of thing? Um, I, I know there's a lot going on just with the race itself and the after party, so... Not trying to stress. Well, no, not trying to stress you out, Molly. Either. No. Um. <laughs> not at all. Uh-uh. You know, in Lone, in Lone Pine, they have a a Western Film Festival. And Molly, is that the weekend prior Before. to our race this year? So this yeah. year, it's going to be the week weekend prior to our race, and it's, it's kind of a big deal in Lone Pine, and a really fun event. And uh, you know, there's fewer and fewer of of. Uh, uh, the guys who are in the old westerns around, but there's there's new westerns now, so they're they're starting to get a new generation of uh, of uh, western movie person come into that town. And you, you've driven through it; it's a great little town. It's right at the base yeah. of Mount Whitney, the the biggest thing in the continental United States. And uh, it's a it's a it's still a place that's kind of relaxed and and uh, open and not too busy, and it's just a uh, a pleasant place. So we'll be there the weekend after the film festival. And as time goes on, we'll, we'll work more with them. And then, um, in pioneer town, uh, we'll be there around the stagecoach Coachella, uh, event. And, uh, we'll have some of the people come up and play. Uh, we'll be coming up and playing in pioneer town when we have the race. So yeah, we'll try to blend more and more entertainment, uh, in and around the actual runs. Very cool. Yeah. I I mean Definitely. I have one one western but it's borderline uh a kind of a horror movie also that uh <laughs> I've uh I've toyed with but it's I I actually probably can't even talk about that idea. Um anyways, I want to I want It's an idea that that you have for a a script or a film? Yeah. Yeah, with with someone yeah. else that probably doesn't want me talking publicly about it but <laughs> <laughs> well talk to me privately about it yeah send it, to go work on a project. it, it yeah. takes place in like the 18 like early 1900s and it's out basically in the middle of nowhere yeah it's it's a really cool concept and yeah we can we can chat about it um offline but i mean it's incredible <laughs> to think that you know when john Wayne was a young man he got to interact with Wyatt Earp, you know, when he was just beginning, he went from a, uh, you know, guy who was sweeping up the sets and getting the, if they had to blow leaves on the set, he'd be the guy cleaning all the leaves off. I mean, he had to herd the ducks. He had to do a bunch of these different sort of small jobs, but that's where he encountered Wyatt Earp. And so he got to, you know, I, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. That's one generation. So my father yeah, hung out with Wyatt Earp. You know, so when you go back to to uh, the late eighteen hundreds or the early nineteen hundreds, it's it's really close in time. It's one one lifespan back. Well, what's Incredible funny is what's you're out in the last hundred years, like being out in in Death Valley. 
not much has changed at all because there's no. there's not much out there and it's just i i think it's lawrence of arabia i think lawrence says something like i i love the desert because it's so clean or, or some comment like that and yeah it really it struck me and, and stuck in my head throughout um spending time out there just how it, it is fairly clean looking just if you are in a desert it's just uh it's a beautiful place and fortunately the weather created some clouds uh right as bad water 135 was starting like the day before so there was some some different light and and just yeah it's such a beautiful place um even, the, the go, light's go incredible Sorry. no i was just yeah. gonna say the light's incredible like first light sunset if there's clouds it's magic but i'm right there with you that's that's all part of my life I mean, I have just one or two last questions for for this go around, and hopefully I can have you guys on again or do an in-person um, video conversation also with you guys. Um, well, I'll start with Molly, and then I'll, I'll, I'll finish with Ethan here. Molly, what is one element of this race series that people just don't know about that makes you excited? Like, is there one or two things where... Like, you know it, and you just almost never have the opportunity to share that element with other people. Mm, I would say, as much as I try my hardest to share all aspects of the race, I think people actually seeing it in person, you know, pictures can do it justice, but when you're actually there at a John Wayne Grid Series, there is so much love and so much excitement in the air for these events that people leave and are just like, that's exactly what I needed. Um, this, this, this course was beautiful. The, the views were amazing. Um, this was everything I'd hoped it to be. So I think for me, it was just, just everybody, you know, experiencing coming down and it's a very, very community. I'm all about community and having everybody involved, including family. So I feel like it's really important for people to to know that what we advertise is what you're getting. You're getting 100% top-notch, great product, swag, Patagonia, awesome finisher medals, and nothing but love and nothing but people are wanting to see people um, achieve goals and help with this great cause for the John Wayne Cancer Foundation. Yeah, I mean, these people are traveling to kind of a remote area, so they're taking the time to drive. They're participating in an event, right? So they're, they're, they're putting themselves out there physically and challenging themselves, and they're doing it for a, for a cause that helps people who are fighting cancer, you know? And so you wrap all that and you put it in a spectacular location, and the you know races are early so you get that early morning light and you get the reflection of the clouds and you're on a trail uh it's it's a great experience you know it's a it's a terrific environment it's 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 uh it's very satisfying to complete that and be there thanks molly hey thank you so this question's for both of you do you think you can provide all of that in an ultra marathon package or is the distance difficult to manage and it just 
it, it doesn't make sense um, for the foundation to really expand that distance. Well, I've thought about that, and I ask Molly all the time, like, does it need to be you know longer? What, what I notice about the and I've never done this, right? I've never done an ultra marathon. I, I, I can't run that far, but it makes it hard to have a finish and uh, build a little community event. Exactly. Um, yeah. It would seem to me. So if you have a you know 10k and a half marathon, people are all finishing around the same time, and it gives you the opportunity to, to give them a little bit of an experience at the end before they drive away. Um, and I don't, I don't know how to do that with a, an ultra marathon. We haven't, we haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, yeah, we haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, it, it, it does. It does. I agree with Ethan, and that's kind of where I, when it comes down to even like picking the distances, like the area, the location, and timing it, where you know they at least we, where we can get both distances kind of finishing around the same time, so everybody can kind of hang out. Whether it's like a husband wants to do the half marathon, but the wife wants to do the 10k walk or hike or run everybody's back at the same time so they can at least enjoy it however i have seen you know i have race directed 50k so i do know um people that you know finishing at those things are they're so static that they finish that distance and you know some will be ready to celebrate some will be like uh peace out i'm going home but you know, like no. me at my last race <laughs> yeah exactly you don't know like sometimes it's like you know as we all know as ultra runners it's like you got sometimes you got great finishes and sometimes you don't but that's kind of part of life you got grit strength and courage and so i'm not going to say never but i you know there's there's just some work still to do with that one why? Yeah, if we could get these oh. <clears throat> these four or five races up and running and uh, <clears throat> make sure people are enjoying them and that we're providing all that we can on our side for the support that we're getting from them, then we can look at expanding to longer distances or other locations. <clears throat> Pardon me. I, I think it's yeah, awesome yeah. what you guys are doing, and it makes a lot of sense. Like, because it, it really, the further out you you take a race, the more dispersed the runners, you know, and there is a little bit less of like that finish line community vibe that you might get in shorter distances. So I, I totally get it. And um, I just love how you've combined all, all my passions into one package here. So keep doing what you're doing, guys. And I highly recommend the listener checking out if you're in that Flagstaff area, that looks like an awesome one. Um, Lone Pine. I'm flying out to that one at some point here. Um <laughs> Like like all your locations seem awesome. Hopefully, I'm in Newport if I uh, get into a film festival there. And um, yeah, I just I really like what you're doing, and um, can't you know commend you guys enough for for doing. Most importantly, we have people that have cancer that need treatment and need that support. And this, the John Wayne Cancer Foundation is is helping provide education and support and teaching and everything else so um thank you guys so much for taking time today and um ethan where can we follow you on social media and then molly where can we follow you on social media me it's uh, i don't I, my dog has one <laughs> and I, I appear what, what about the found dog. maybe the foundation i i don't sure join john wayne uh john wayne official join john wayne and uh john wayne brand are our three instagram 
handles that we have. And then uh, John Wayne on Facebook. Awesome. And then if anybody wants to follow my dog, it's traveling with Finn, F-I-N-N. Nice. And yeah. I'll make an appearance in there from time to time. Hey, our, our, <laughs> I mean, between Gobi of Finding Gobi, I mean, my last uh, podcast, I had two dogs on the, the end of the episode. So um, <laughs> the dog following is growing. Uh, Molly, where can we follow Aww. you? Uh, you can follow me at Who's That Girl? Awesome. W H O O S dot that dot girl. And yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Always appreciate the support. I, I enjoyed it. I'll, uh, in the show notes, if you're interested in any of these races, I'll, I'll leave a link and you can definitely check them out. Thank you guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Rob. See ya. Thanks so much. And I am not intoxicated. And that was episode 177. Big thank you to Ethan and Molly for taking so much of their time. Always appreciate them. Um, they were on in late 2019. Definitely check out that episode if you haven't already. And they're always just open and honest. And they give so many cool, fun details. And they're really putting on a great race for a great cause. So big thank you to them. Big thank you to Tannery Outdoors all natural skin protection for runners by runners and of course exoskin toe socks or no toe socks this is a solid high-tech fabric and thank you to patreon supporters you guys are probably in the loop on what's going on but it's a busy week but most importantly don't forget to enjoy your training have a great week see you